Turn with me to Ruth chapter 2 on your uh, phones, on the screen, in your Bible. Give everybody a couple seconds to get there. <clears throat> this is our third Sunday studying the book of Ruth, and this week in chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reaper, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, 
May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The very words of God. Amen? Amen. Hopefully you still got your Bibles open. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 this morning. You've already heard the word of God read this morning. So today I want to preach from the topic of where are all the Ruths and the Boazes? Where are all the Ruths and the Boazes? Before we go any further, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. Father, we need you. Right now, God, I need you. Would you speak with my mouth, God? Let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Decrease me, God, so that you may increase in this place. Father, let your folks hear a word from you and not from me. God, we thank you for this time. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Today I'm going to be talking to our men a bit, and I'm going to talk to our women a bit here by looking at the character specifically of Ruth and Boaz here in chapter 2. And I want us all to ponder the question as we walk through this text today, how is my posture, what does my posture look like before God? And the second question I want you to ask is, do I really trust him as a redeemer? Do I really trust him as a redeemer? I got two points for you this morning. Number one, our right posture. Everybody say our right posture. Our right posture. And number two, the redeemer's intentionality. The redeemer's intentionality. Family, so as we're jumping into the text this morning, I want to just catch us up a little bit to where we left off last week. Last week, we, as we're walking through the series of Ruth, I posed this question of, am I a sticky person? Am I a sticky person? And the reason I was asking the question of if I'm a sticky person is because when you look at Ruth chapter and you look at Naomi's situation where she's going through all of these different circumstances, and even Ruth for that matter, where they've lost their husband, she's lost her children, she's lost her everything. She's lost her status, they went through a famine, and whatever it may be in our lives, what tends to happen is the easy thing to do, as you see with Naomi, is to blame God and believe he has left you and he's the cause of your calamity. See, when the truth of the matter is that God has not left us, He's not left us. His central covenant promise from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible in Revelation is that he says, I will be your God and you will be my people if you believe. So in all actuality, it's not God who's the issue. It's not him who has left. It's us. We're the ones that begin to doubt God. We're the ones that begin to not believe in him and we turn from him to what we think might be right and we begin not to trust him. So again, I ask you this morning, are you sticky? Are you sticky? 
Do you stick with God when things get hard? Or do you tuck tail and run the other way? Do you really believe that he is good? Do you believe that he is for you and not against you? See, if we believe in God, and we believe in that central covenant promise that he is our God, the truth of the matter is that he will never leave you. That's the truth that keeps you going day to day through every circumstance, through every trial, everything that happens in your life. It's a central covenant that we believe in that keeps us. Ruth in chapter 1 exemplifies that stickiness, the stickiness of God. When she says to Naomi, look at these verses. She says this in verse 16 through 17. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Look at these words. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Powerful words. In this text, she's not only displaying her faithfulness to Naomi, but the words should have been familiar to Naomi because this is what God is saying throughout the whole, whole Old Testament. She's known these words, but instead, she doesn't know what she's saying because she's too involved or too wrapped up in her immediate circumstances to notice the words that are coming out of Ruth's mouth, which brings us to where we are in the text today. The text begins in verse 1, look at it, telling us that Naomi had a relative in who was a worthy man and was named Boaz. This verse is significant because it points to the providence of God and him working behind the scenes. How do we know this? Because in this verse right here, this is not Naomi actually saying this. This is the narrator mentioning the fact that Boaz is in the land. So Naomi's not even thinking about that she has a relative in the land that's well off. She's just concerned with her immediate circumstances. She doesn't see it. The text says Boaz is a worthy man which meant that he was a man of position. He was a man of power in society. Again, she's too busy with all her immediate circumstances to notice or remember that Boaz is her immediate relative and he's well off. Isn't it funny how in the midst of trials and circumstances, we can be so caught up looking at the trees instead of seeing the forest? We miss the forest for the trees. Y'all ever been there before? I mean, you're seeing all these things happening in front of you, but you can't see how God is actually working around you. These women are struggling in this text. Ruth and Naomi are poor, and Naomi seemingly forgets the fact that she has a well-off relative in the land that she's going back to. This verse introduces us to Boaz and where we're going in our text today. But before we get to Boaz, I want to pay close attention to the stature and the posture of Ruth in our text. Which brings us to our first point, our right posture, our right posture. Ruth says in verse 2 to Naomi, she says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now notice she says the word glean. You all see the word glean? This word glean is mentioned 12 different times in this chapter, which means that it's one of the main emphasis in the chapter. This word is important. It's important for us because it speaks to their position in society. It speaks to the fact of them being in need. They're struggling. Folks that gleaned in society were often poor. 
They went out after the reapers and gleaned the leftovers. You see this in Leviticus 19. It tells them after they reap, it tells the reapers, leave some out in the field so the poor can come after you and they can glean some after you so they can eat too. So Ruth, noticing her situation, she noticed her and Naomi's situation. She goes out and she asked Naomi before she goes, she said, Naomi, can I go out here and glean after the reapers in someone else's field? Now hear me, y'all. Don't miss what's happening here. Don't miss this. This takes a, a, a mass amount of humility to go from being at the top where you were full. You had everything you need right there at the beginning of chapter one, and then, and then you go to the place where you're, you're now asking people, can I come glean in your field? Can I get the leftovers? I don't want the good stuff. I just need the leftovers. This takes a mass amount of humility. And then on top of that, she's asking Naomi, she's submitting to Naomi, asking her, can I go get some food? Can we go do, can I do this for you? She's submitting to a woman who's kind of out of her mind at the end of her wit saying, I'm ready to throw in the town, I'm ready to die, but she still submits to her and says, I won't go unless you give me permission. Ruth is strong. She's a humble woman. She's a submissive person here in our text. What she is, she simply has the right posture. Now this is significant. And I want to say a word to our ladies in here. And don't worry, I'm going to get to the men a little bit later. But I got to speak to the ladies a little bit. Because we see throughout the scriptures, God continually throughout scripture exalting women that work hard, that have character, and are submissive to the right authority. I didn't say all authority, I said to the right authority. Now, I know some of y'all just got lost when I said the word submission, right? It's a cuss word. I didn't say curse, it's a cuss word. Y'all don't like that word. We don't like the word submission, but hear me, stick with me, hear me. It's in the text, it's, it's, it's right, it's right when it's used in the right sense. Because here's the thing, Ruth is just a type of Christ, and Christ showed the ultimate submission when he submitted to his father and went to the cross to take the sins of the world that were not his to take. So submission is not bad. We just make it a bad thing. It's actually a God thing. Proverbs 31, y'all don't believe me, 10, verses 10 through 31 talks about a virtuous woman, one that works hard, takes care of her home, raises her children, follows her husband's leadership. Or you can go to Song of Solomon, it talks about in chapter 1, the Shulamite woman, it said that she's, her skin is dark and it's burnt because she was, she was made to work in the field by her brothers, but she submits to them, she's humble, even when she doesn't have to be, and she works hard, and guess what? She ends up marrying the king. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived. That's not enough, though. Mary, a 14-year-old girl, submits to the, to the will of God, a virgin, and gives birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus. Ephesians 5 says, women should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But see, therein lies the problem. Most of us can't submit because the head ain't right. Y'all just missed it. We can't submit because the head is not right. You're following or with the wrong man. Or you may be single and you're not submitting to the will of God and you're wondering, why won't he provide for me? Why won't he work in my life? Submission, hear me again, is not a bad thing. It's not bad when we're submitting rightly before the Lord. And that's not just for ladies, that's for men too. Now ladies, hear me. What I'm not saying is that women should be weak. 
I'm not saying that women should know their roles and follow the rules. That's not what submission means. That's not what I'm talking about. No, women are to be strong, humble, women of character that work hard, but also submit to God-honoring leadership, hence the word God-honoring leadership. That's not anybody. Should not just submit and follow just anybody. But don't take my words for it. Take Maya Angelou's words. She says this. Look at her words. She says these words. She says, look, a woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. Those aren't my words. That's her words. That's exactly correct. We're blessed with spouses and God-honoring marriages when we follow Jesus first. It's not get your man or your woman, then we start going to church and we get it right together. No, no, no. Follow Jesus first. That's for both men and women, but specifically for my ladies. I want to point this out because there's an epidemic of failed or lack of leadership on behalf of our males in our society today, which I'm going to touch on a little bit later. But what happens is that this causes ladies to start to settle or diminish standards for your man or what God has designed a husband to be. Now hear me, ladies, hear me, hear me closely. Don't settle for the image of a man. Don't settle for the image of a man. Instead, know what you're looking for. A man that, that rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and invests for all eternity with his kids and the generations to come. That's what you want. That, that's what you need. So, lady, what the Bible is not saying is that you're, you're weak. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you are weak. That's not what the Word of God is saying. But what it is saying, and this is for men too, hear me, is that you will be exalted when you work hard, you have a humble character, and you submit to the, to the right authority, like Jesus did, his Father. The point is here, hear me, that Ruth in our text has the right posture. She puts herself in a place where she's able to be exalted. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God throughout history has continually favored the roots of society. I know this firsthand. I was raised by a Ruth, my mother. I talked about it a little bit last service, but my mother and father, they were divorced when I was six years old. And some of us in here actually know the heartache that comes with divorce. We've experienced that sadly that we've been in a broken family before. It's not easy. Going from a place where you thought you were okay to a place where now you're, you're walking down to the government building with your mama to get food stamps, to be on government assistance. It, it, it's, it's not a fun place to be. A place where at one point we had to literally take an extension cord from our house to the next house over so we could get electricity to have lights and heating in our house, y'all. It's not a fun place to be. But see, my mother, she didn't just duck her head down and just say, woe is me. No, no, she kept her hands to the plow. She kept praying and she kept moving and God continued to, to work in her life. It's hard. It was hard for us. So she worked two jobs and sometimes three most of my life. She worked jobs that she was overqualified for and underqualified for. She did all of this to make sure we had a roof over our head and clothes on our back and, and food on our place. And you know what? At the end of the day, she would walk in just as tired as could be. But she was the nicest woman 
that you could ever meet despite everything else that was going on in her life. Family, I, I tell you all this to say that my mother was not weak. She worked hard. And friends, don't you know, all that work paid off. She raised four kids by herself, three of which have graduate degrees. We've all graduated from college, three of which who have graduate degrees, and we're all doing well now. God took my mother, a lowly woman, with, without much, and used her in a huge way. Friends, hear me. There's something about taking the right posture, this posture of humility, working hard and submitting to God that he favors. Scripture says that God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. There's something about this posture. And ladies, I'm not who I am without a hardworking woman who submitted to the Lord her God and was full of humility. And then on top of that, y'all have heard me talk about it throughout the weeks, but I've been doubly blessed, y'all. I'm taking a black church. I've been doubly blessed. I got a wife now who loves me, who loves the Lord even more than me. She encourages me in all my ways to be the best husband I can be, the best man I can be, and the best father I can be. I am better because of my wife. There's something, family, about that posture of humility, working hard, submitting to the Lord that he favors. See, Ruth in this text has the right posture for God to work in her life. It's in that place of humility that God works. So let me ask you, are you in that place this morning? Is that you, men and women? Are you like Ruth? Or, or do you think you got it all together? You don't need anybody. You don't, you don't, you don't need to depend on anybody else. You don't need to submit to anybody, not even God. Is that you? What's your posture like this morning? Let me show you what the right posture does. L look at the text with me. Look at what happens with Ruth. Ruth is found. She's gleaning from the leftovers. And the text says that she happened to come across Boaz's land in verse 3. And Ruth doesn't know about Boaz. She doesn't know that he's the one that, that, that's going to ultimately redeem her. But instead, once more, it speaks to God's providence for her to come across Boaz's land. And guess what? The text says that behold, Boaz comes. Like he wasn't expected to come. Behold, Boaz comes from Bethlehem. What are the chances of Boaz and Ruth being at the same field at the same time? Now, what you don't understand here and what you don't know is that Bethlehem, the reason of Bethlehem was 110 miles long. It was 80 miles wide. Why? So you could imagine, could you imagine just for a second how many fields are in Bethlehem? But she, she runs into Boaz. Also, the, Boaz is not a reaper. He, he owns the land, so he doesn't have to be there. He's the boss. He just happened to come and check in on his workers. Again, family, God is always working behind the scenes to bring about his providential will. Don't miss it. The text says she wanders into Naomi's relative's land. 
the worthy man of Boaz. He's a leader among leaders. He even greets his workers with the priestly blessing of may the Lord be with you. And they say, may the Lord bless you. Y'all, what kind of boss walks into work like that? See, this is the kind of dude that you want to work for. He takes care of his people. See, see family, what, what I don't want you to miss, though, from Ruth's life here, is that she's not out looking for this stuff. She's not out looking for the will of God. She's not working hard just trying to receive something. She's not trying to be all mystical about it either, saying stuff like, well, I'm just sitting back, doing what I need to do, waiting on God. He's going to come through. He's going to do this for me. No, no, she's not saying that. God is not some genie in the Bible. You don't rub the Bible pages right, and he comes out and tells you what you want and when, you want, when you're going to get it and how you're going to work. That's not how he works. She's gone out. She's worked. She trusted and obeyed. She just does what she knows is right to do, and God provides. See, too many times, family, hear me, y'all, we get caught up in looking for God to do something for us, and we're not faithful in the little things or the little places where God might have us right now. And one of the things that frustrates me is that when I, when I talk to people and I ask them how they're doing and they, they say something super spiritual like, you know, I'm doing all right, Pastor. I'm just waiting for God. I'm waiting on God to give me this job. I'm just waiting on God to do this in my life. I'm waiting on him to give me this job, the one I've been dreaming of. And I try to assume the best. So I say, okay, that's great. I'm glad that you're waiting on God to give you this job. I'm glad that you're praying. That's cool. But have you done a resume? No, Pastor. I'm just waiting on God. He, he's going to come through. I know he's going to come through, God. I, I don't have it. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Well, where have you put an application out at? Where, where, where have you? Man, I ain't applied nowhere. I'm just waiting on God. He's going to give me the job. That, now, at this time, I'm starting to scratch my head, and I'm getting a little irritated at him because I'm like, how in the world is God going to provide for you if you can't take care of the little practical steps for him to work? Y'all didn't get that one. See, see, or some, another one that frustrates me is when I talk to dudes and they're like, man, I met this girl. She is amazing. I'm about to marry her. She is the woman of my dreams, Pastor D. And I'm like, man, that's amazing. I'm glad that you're thinking about marriage. The covenant of marriage is a, a beautiful thing God created for man and woman to be together. That's an awesome thing. But, but, but man, do you got a job? Pastor D, I don't. I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on God. There it goes again. Again, I just kind of, I kind of assumed the best and I worked through it again a little bit more. I said, okay, cool. Do you, do you, do you have a place? Where are you living at right now? Man, I'm living at my mama's house, sleeping on the couch. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wreck, save me some money. Okay, that's good. You, you saving some money. Do you have a savings account? No, I don't, man. I got my mattress. Guy. What? Again, I'm scratching my head like, look. You're trying to marry a woman, you're going to, how are you going to provide for a woman if you can't take care of the practical things to take care of yourself? Come on, man. I mean, look, look, God is not some genie in the Bible where you just, you just say, God, I know you're going to come through one of these days. No, 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 no. It's about the posture that we take. Y'all don't believe me still. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God creates Adam, he puts him in the garden. Y'all heard me talk about this. He puts him in the garden. God creates him in his image. He gives him a work to do, puts him in the garden. He says, look, go work the fields, Adam. 
He says, take care of the animals, name the animals, do what, this is what I'm telling you to do. Adam just does what God tells him to do. He goes out there, he works the fields, he starts tilling them, he names the animals, and all the while God says, not Adam, God says, man should not be alone. So Adam, what is he doing? He's still working in the fields, he's still naming animals, taking care of the little things that God told him to do. And all the while, God is working behind the scenes, creating a suitable helper for Adam called Eve. See, y'all just missed it. All Adam is doing is being concerned with what God told him to do. And he, it's not him that provides the woman. God provides her. Family, hear me. Part of our right posture is to be obedient and trust God where he has us now. And in time, he will provide. How many of you believe that God knows what's best for your life? I mean, you really believe this, that God knows what's best for you beyond what you could even begin to imagine. How many of you really believe that? See, we have to trust him and be obedient in the little things and let him provide. If not, we've already looked at Elimelech in chapter 1. We see what happens when we start to just trust our own intuition and go our own way. We go out and do our own thing and we think it's better out there and we end up in a deeper and darker hole than we ever could imagine ourselves. And then we wake up one day and say, how in the world did I get here? No, no, we have to trust God in the good and the bad, in the little and the big. Ruth takes the right posture before God and does what she knows is right in her circumstances which is to go out, glean from the leftovers, and God provides. And the thing that really boggles me about all of this is that she just start believing in God. Some of us been in church our whole life and believe in God, but we still can't do the little things right. We still don't believe him where he has us right now. The text moves on, and we see that Boaz notices her. He notices her. He asks who she is in verse 5. Boaz shows us being a type of Christ, how Christ responds to our right posture. This brings us to our second point, which is a redeemer's intentionality. He notices, he pursues, he pro provides and protects. You say those again. He notices, he pursues, he protects and provides. Don't miss this. See, what we need to notice is how Boaz starts with pursuing Ruth. Watch this. Don't miss it. Look at verses 5 through 7. The text doesn't say that he has spoken to her, but yet he notices her and pursues her by asking about her. See, he, he, he says, who is the young woman? And the head reaper says to, to him, he says, that, he tells her who she is. He says, he's a Moabite woman that came back with, with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she asked for permission to glean from our lands. And y'all, she's been out there all day long, continued from early morning, and just, except for a short rest. Now, friends, this is significant. It's significant because when the text says she continued, this meant that she was out there all day. She was grimy in the hot sun. She's sweaty. This is not one of her good days. I'm telling you right now, she doesn't look anything nice. 
Her pits probably sweating, you know, that nasty sweat, the yellow sweat, this, your, your shirt's all, all drenched and it's stained, that type of sweat. That's her right now. She's not smelling good. She don't have her perfume on, nails not done, feet looking wrong. She's all of that. She, she doesn't look good. It's not one of her best moments. But let me, let me tell you, you know what Boaz notices? You know what he notices? It's not that she's five, five, brown eyes, pretty small waist, thick thighs, all that in a bag of chips. It's not that. It's not that she got a Coke bottle body. You know what he notices? He notices a woman of character. Don't miss it. Some of y'all just missed it. He notices a woman of character. Boaz starts his pursuit, watch this, by noticing her, and then he inquires about her before he even talks to her. He learns about her character and her work before he pursues her. Y'all missing this. He's simply doing what a man of his stature should do for, or for any man for that purpose trying to pursue a woman. Let me pause here and say this a little bit, men. We should not be pursuing or simply pursue a woman because she looks good. She might look fine, be pretty as ever on the outside, but when you get to know her, she's ugly on the inside. And my pastor used to tell me that just makes her pretty ugly. Some of y'all get that on your way home. Y'all didn't get it. She might be pretty ugly. No, no, we need to pursue women of character like Ruth, women who love the Lord with all their heart. Now, yes, you do want your wife or your woman to be attractive. Don't get all super spiritual on me. Yes, she needs to love Jesus first, but you don't wake up looking next, you don't wake up next to Jesus. You wake up next to stank breath and hair all over the place, so you better be attracted to her. Hence, you better be attracted to her. She's your standard of beauty, not your boys or the world. She's your standard of beauty. You need to be attracted to her. See, it's hard for me not to get frustrated or, or passionate about this because with, you got the media with Victoria's Secret commercials and pornography running rampant, modeling competitions, because it, it, it deters or clouds the view of what, uh, what we should look for in a woman or how to pursue her. See, it makes men act more like carnivores, consciously or unconsciously, only attracted to the meat of a woman or what she looks like instead of actually getting to know her. And see, on the other side, let me, let me talk about this for a minute because the women on the other side, they never feel good enough. They work to keep up with what the media produces for them or what they think men want them to be like instead of what God has designed them to truly be like, fearfully and wonderfully made, beautiful on the inside and as well as the outside. God ordained, made in his image. Folks, hear me. We got to watch. We got to watch out and be on guard against all the mess in the world that we begin to take into our systems. This doesn't mean shield yourself from the world where you become someone who's cynical about everything that happens. But be mindful and be watchful. Be on guard, as the Bible says about how the world affects you. And what I mean by the world is anything that impresses upon you a different worldview than what the Bible says. The text moves on in verse 8 and 9. Look at it. It says, Boaz notices her. He intentionally pursues. He learns about her. Then the first thing he says to her 
deals with him providing for her and protecting her. Look at the text. He says, don't glean from another field, but stay by my young women, and I have ordered the young men not to touch you because Boaz knows something she doesn't know. He knows that the men around the other fields might not be trustworthy and could do something to harm her. He knows all of this, so he protects her from the other men. And he says, basically, if they mess with you, I will kill them. They better not mess with you. I told them not to. He tells her to pick from my fields. And when you're thirsty, go drink from the vessels that I already have set up. Whatever you want, drink from the vessels. He notices her. He pursues her. He protects her. And he provides. He basically says, I'm taking care of you. You're safe. I got you. He goes out of his way for Ruth, and he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do anything, but he does this for her. He is a man among men. Ruth, when she realizes what's happening, text says she falls down on her face, and she thanks him. And she says in verse 10, why have you done this for me? He tells her all that he already knows because he already inquired about her. Remember, he, he tells her that I've been told all that you've done for your mother-in-law and how you gave up everything to be with her. He continues and he says, may the Lord repay you with a full reward where he actually is saying that may you be compensated for your loss as well as be blessed with a family. He says, may the Lord bless you in this way and protect you and keep you. But what Boaz does not know is that he will be the one that will provide all of these things for Ruth. He doesn't know that. And y'all hear me, hear me with that. He's not doing this for her so he can get that either. Follow me. He doesn't expect anything in return for, the, for his actions towards Ruth. No, no. Here's a man who is just doing something, namely for a woman, without any kind of ill intentions. Y'all are missing this. He just does this for her because he, it needs to be done. He doesn't want to have sex with her. He doesn't want her to give him anything in return. He just accepts responsibility because here's a woman of character who is struggling and needs help. Hear me. We need more men like this. We need more Boazes. Let's, and I'm talking about me and you, let's be men that, that see needs and we meet them. Boaz is showing us what being a type of Christ, how Christ steps out of heaven, seeing a need that he only can meet and comes down and he meets it. But Boaz is also showing us an example of a man among men. But sadly, this is very uncommon. Let me put it this way. I was watching a show a while back, a few years back. It was on teen pregnancy, and as I was watching this show, they're highlighting teen pregnancy, and, and not in a necessarily good way, but just highlighting what's happening in the world. And this, this young girl was pregnant, and she's about to give birth to her, 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 her child in the hospital, and her boyfriend is actually in prison at the time. So he's locked up in prison, but he wants to be present, or he wants to see the birth of his child. So what they do is, while she's giving birth, they record it. And they, they will a, 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 a video a recorder as well as a TV into the cell with him. So he's now watching through the bars the birth of his child on this TV screen as, as she's giving birth. And as she starts to give birth, he starts asking, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Is it a boy? 
He learns out it's a boy, and then he immediately starts screaming out, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Come to find out, this is his seventh child with the fifth different girl. Now you tell me, looking and hearing about that situation, how in the world is he the man? But see, the sad reality about this is that this in some way describes manhood in our culture. We want the perks without the responsibility. Make babies without taking care of them. We need real men. We need men who love with intentionality, who pursue, who provide and protect. Men who actually understand true manhood and are not simply posers. We don't have enough Boazes in our culture. I'm just naming it out. We don't have enough men accepting responsibility and leading people. Our society is full of too many boys that think they're men living at home with their mom until they're 30 playing video games. We need more men taking responsibility. Stop running from responsibility, being passive, and creating more problems. It's time for men to be men, and I believe it starts in the church. It starts with you knowing who you are in the image of God. It starts with you knowing Jesus. But see, therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem because there's this lack of real men. So when it comes to trusting Jesus, the true man among men, it's hard. Because when we look at Jesus, we see our daddy or the lack thereof. We see passivity. We see lack of intentionality. We see weakness. We see all these things that are not Jesus because of what we see in a society from the men around us. So it makes it, it makes it very hard to trust the true sovereign man of God. But hear me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. Let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus was beat to a pulp for you. He was spit on. He was kicked. He made a road to the cross to take sins upon, on the cross, nailed to the cross, sins that he didn't commit. And nowhere does he expect anything in return. He doesn't say you got to do this. No, no, no. Jesus took the initiative, saw a need, came down, and he met it without us asking him to do anything. Jesus was and is the ultimate Boaz. Don't miss it. Hear me. Men are supposed to love others and especially women the same way like Christ loved the church in Ephesians chapter 5. We, I'm talking to men in here as well as myself, are to love and lead our women despite what they do for us or what we can gain in return. We have too many men or boys, should I say, expecting something and not doing something and being what God has called us to be. We, as men, we, we got to step up. Step up to the plate. We want women and other people to follow us, but we really haven't given them anything worthy to follow. Look at the text. It says in verse 1 that Boaz was a worthy man. 
He's a worthy man, a man to be followed. Men and women both followed him. He was a man of stature, of reputation, and took care of others. Friends, hear me. When men step up, things happen. Things happen. All throughout Scripture, we see this. When Moses steps up, he leads the people out of Egyptian captivity. When David steps up, he takes his little old slingshot, and he kills Goliath. And then he becomes the king in the land. But maybe that's not enough for you. When Peter steps up after Jesus ascends to heaven, he preaches the best sermon of all time, and 3,000 people right there get saved, and then the church begins. When Paul steps up, stops killing Christians, he goes out in the book of Acts, starts planting churches, starts discipling men all over the places, starting, place, starting churches everywhere. And now the world is ushered into a place where everybody gets to know Jesus. And then lastly, when the man of all men steps up, sees a need, he steps out of heaven comes down here and becomes a ransom for all so that if we believe we can be saved, y'all, the whole world now because of that is changing. Now we sit here 2,000 years later and still praise and worship the same Jesus. Y'all, when real men step up, movements begin. When men step up, lives change. Marriages stay together. Jail incarceration decreases. Single mom homes decrease. High school graduation rates rise up. Murder rates decrease in the city. We could go on for days because what happens when men actually act like men, the world changes. The world changes. So, men, I got a question for you. Are you a Boaz? I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just asking you a question. Are you a Boaz? Is that you? Are you noticing, pursuing, leading, protecting, and providing for your wife and those around you? Y'all hear me, Boaz is just a type of Christ that points us to Jesus. So in essence, my real question here to my men is are you really following Christ's example? Not Boaz, Christ's example. Boaz shows us what a man and what a true redeemer's intentionally looks like. Are you a Boaz? Now hear me as we get ready to end and the band comes to the stage. So I'm asking this question. Because look what happens in the text when Boaz steps up. Boaz invites Ruth in for a meal. She eats until she's full, the text says. She has leftovers in verse 14. She then goes back to glean, and he tells the reapers, leave some extra out in the fields. He doesn't want her to just have the leftovers. Now he says she needs to get the good stuff too. She needs the good stuff. She then goes home to Naomi in verses 17 through 18. And the text says she began to beat out what she had. And it was an ephah of barley, which means that she had about 5.5 gallons of barley, which would have been enough for about two weeks for her and Naomi both. See, what happened, family, is that when Boaz provided for Ruth, he took care of her, but not only took care of her immediate and daily need of food, but for days to come, but not only for her, but for Naomi, who was around her, y'all are not following me with this. Look, it's the same thing with Jesus. Hear me. When you trust Jesus, he doesn't just save you from your circumstances. Doesn't just save you from your sins. 
He gives you a seat in heaven. He gives you a seat and a place in eternity with him. And he saves you also so that through your life, others can come to him too. So friends, I am with the same two questions I began with. How's your posture? Have you positioned yourself like Ruth in a place where God can actually work on your life? And what I mean is have you been obedient and trusting him in the little things? Because hopefully you didn't miss it. All she's doing is just being obedient, working in the fields, and God's the one orchestrating everything behind the scenes for her and Boaz to meet. What's your posture like this morning? What's your posture like? Secondly, and I ask you, do you trust the intentionality of how God redeems? Because it can be tough. I know it firsthanded. Sadly, Boaz's example is not what we see in society on a day-to-day basis. There have not been great examples of men like him in society. But hear me, Jesus is not like your daddy. He's not like any man you ever have met before. He's perfect in all his ways. He's without sin. And all his ways are good. He is the good, good father that we sing about every week here at Renewal. The question is, will you trust him? Ruth in this passage demonstrates the Christly posture of humility, strength, character, and submission. And Boaz shows us how God notices, pursues us, protects, and provides. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good father. God, I ask you right now that you would cover us, Lord Jesus, with your grace and your mercy. As we get ready to come to the table, God, let us not forget how good you've been to us. That you went out of your way first for us, Lord Jesus. And when we realize that truth, Lord, it should keep us in a posture of humility, in a place where we know we're undeserving, in a place where we're ready to serve, knowing that you're good. God, let that be our posture this morning. Convict us where you need to convict us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you're willing and able to continue to receive us every time we come to you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen.